Hi, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the, the Two Horny, Horny Goats! Welcome, everybody, to episode three, where we will cover family ties. Ooh, I love that. Are you excited like, about this episode, Priscilla? I'm 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 sweaty. Like my palms are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti about it, but I, I think I am. I am excited. You know, there's Actually, vomit on your sweater already. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can you see these sweat stains just like <laughs> seeping through the, my shirt? Yeah, it's like yeah. you suddenly have a white shirt that turned gray. <laughs> I know. I think family is the one thing. I mean, you can create yourself in whoever you want to be, but you really can't choose your family, and you can't really pick the dynamic that you have. No, you're born into it. Yeah. And you have to learn to work your way through it. Yeah. Once you get through those vaginal curtains, like you, you are just, <laughs> that is who you're with. You know, that's, that is your peeps. Yeah. And for sure. I love my family like crazy. Yeah. And I think my we family all do, and we, and we all have family issues, and every family has their own problems, so we're yeah. going to be here to talk about, this is honestly a very tough topic for us, but in order to, before we go into that, to get yeah. us into this topic, I okay. have a fun little exercise for us, Priscilla. Oh my God. Is this like when you dip your ankles in before you get into the hot tub because it's too hot for your booty? A hundred percent. Okay, great. Are you ready? Let's buckle do it. that. Okay. okay we're going to play up. some icebreaker questions. Oh! Okay. I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> Priscilla. Yeah. If aliens were to ever invade the Earth, yeah. would you go with them or would you say, kill me, I will never go with you? Uh, okay, so I, I think like from a very, from a curiosity perspective, I, I would want to say yes. From a reality perspective, I would say no because I get extremely vomity in any sort <laughs> of like enclosed container or vehicle. Um, and so I think if I got into their spaceship, I would be nauseous for however long that we had to fly to wherever <laughs> the fuck we're going. Um, and I, I just don't think I'm, I think evolutionarily, maybe there's, you know, people that are meant to be future people. I am not one of these future people. I have bad vertigo i have really bad <laughs> like vomiting issues um yeah when i went to taiwan with my family i you know we went up you know the mountains in uh-huh. um Taizong, like you know near Taizong, yeah and i i vomited into the trash can in the car like four times i like how it's like the question is would you be willing to be the vessel for aliens to experiment on and the answer is well i have major motion sickness I have so major i would die motion before i even get onto like the surgical table. i want to help them actually i want to help vet like actually good hosts you know what i mean i would not be a good host for them um so uh, for that reason yeah. you're like no, colonize uh, me i'm so yeah. used to it <laughs> I, like yeah cognitively i would say yes but the reality is no how about you uh i actually uh, i i am willing to be a sex slave experiment for the aliens oh. i think i'm very interested to see what our dnas would create if they're interested in doing that if not then i uh no i would say kill me before you bring me up there because i also have major motion sickness oh and uh, the reason why i didn't pursue becoming a flight attendant in this <gasps> life because that was my dream is because i'm majorly afraid of turbulence so you i am be... in the same boat as you girl oh hey Hey, you know, I think that's why we're the two horny goats together. (laughs) We want to be grounded. We want to stay on Earth. (laughs) Yeah. But can you imagine a world where, like, you look at alien human children as the way that we kind of, you know, see 
you know, mixed kids and it's like, oh my God, like their antenna is so cute. Like so exotic. I know the tail is so plumy on this one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And their forehead, it's like right in between alien size and human size. It's amazing. (laughs) I know it's beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, I'll be curious to see about that. But um, I'm like that we're on the same page with it. But okay, here's my second icebreaker question. Okay. Okay. Here. Okay. I'm ready. Are you ready? If you could have dinner with anybody famous, dead or alive, Kelly Murphy. <laughs> oh, your husband? I mean, uh, sorry, Abe. Wait, your uh, your other husband. You are so obsessed with Kelly Murphy. It's you are so annoying. Obsessed. Yes. It's annoying. Yeah, it's annoying. I I understand this, but I think if anyone has watched Peaky Blinders, um, all my Peaky Blinder fans out there, what's up, <laughs> fucking Peaky Blinders? Hey, yeah, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and if you haven't, all of the seasons are on Netflix right now. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, <laughs> you're literally, blushing right now. I can literally red. see that you're blushing. I'm sweating again. I'm <laughs> doubly sweating. <laughs> but um, Killian Murphy, uh, for those of you who don't know my obsession, uh, my husband was, or a boyfriend at the time, was out on tour with Run River North. Um, and I was alone for maybe like four months, give or take. And I was so lonely and would literally be eating frozen burritos in the middle of the night in front of the TV by myself every day. Um, and so I started watching Peaky Blinders by myself, and uh, that was my boyfriend for <laughs> four months. <laughs> it fulfilled me, and I know it's a like a misogynist show in a lot of ways, but actually, actually, you know, it's misogynist on the front, and then on the and then you know, feminist on the back. You know what I'm saying? It's like a mullet when it comes to feminism. <laughs> um, but anyway, he he's he's my hero. How about you? Wait, do you have a pillow or blanket with his face on it? Do, okay, do we need to do we do we need to go over that? Yes, I have a pillow. <laughs> my sister gave me a pillow of Killian Murphy's face, and I cried for ten minutes when I got it. Does so. it sleep in the same bed with you as Abe? <laughs> it's not allowed in our bedroom for obvious reasons. <laughs> It once was in the bedroom. It's no longer in the bedroom. That's all I'll say about that. How about you? How about me? Well, you know, my version of your Killian Murphy is yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, hey. Because I was always thinking about, like, who would I always pull down my pants for? Like, someone that I cannot resist bending over if I'm yeah. ever in their physical presence. Yeah. And his alien cat baby face. There's just oh something gosh. about it that's, like, so hot to me. And, like, his his accent and, like, how he was as Khan in Star Trek and, like, oh. how he's so Shakespearean in Oof. everything he does. It's just, yes. like, such a turn-on. Like, um, so, question one was actually about Benedict Cumberbatch, wasn't it? Oh, my it? God. I see it. I see the tie-in. <laughs> Holy shit. I was like, no wonder I want to, like, fuck an alien because... That's basically who he is. Like, he's, he is an alien. Yeah, he's an alien. Oh, my God. Oh my now God. I get why you want to be a sex slave to the aliens. Yeah, but only if it's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I like the way he says penguins. Have you seen that clip where he's trying to say penguins? Yes. Wait, you emulate it. Do it. I, Do it. I can't. Yeah, you can't. Penguins. I, like, it's so bad. I can't, I can't even remember right now. It's like the way that Stewie says cool whip. Oh, wait. How, how does he do it? You do it. Cool whip. No, the penguins. Penguins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, okay. the last question, because I know our listeners are like, what the fuck are these two bitches doing? Get into yeah. the hard shit already. Okay. Okay. We'll okay. Get we're getting there. to the okay, topic. We're getting to it. We're getting to um, the topic. I'm going to give you a very heavy question as a typical Capricorn would. Um, how do you want to be remembered when you die? I was not prepared for this. Rocks, this is I'm heavy. Sorry. No, that's this why is it's great. like an icebreaker question. No, I love it. I actually really... 
I'm a relatively morbid person, as you know. I, mm-hmm. I want to be remembered for being a kind and generous person. I want to be remembered for the small moments that you showed up for people. Um, I want to be, you know, remembered for flying under the radar. Um, and I guess selfishly, I want to be remembered as, you know, oh, why didn't we appreciate her in her time, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest. And I ideate my funeral very often, which I guess could be considered a narcissistic thing. But like we talked about last time, I thought I would not make it to 16 because of all those um, Christian romance novels about the cancer kids. Right. Um, And uh, so I've been ideating, uh, you know, visions of my funeral since I was like 12. What's so romantic? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Cute. Um, uh, But yeah. How about it's you? like after you've gotten married, you're just like you're just like I've done all the things I'm supposed to do right now. Now I get to think about how I die. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. I guess I'm done here. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> now it's just like all right, you know, just like yeah. dust your hands clean, and it's it, like what's next? I, Death, yeah, I guess. yeah. I would hope there's life after marriage, but who knows? God, I mean, it got married and then pandemic, so I don't know. That's hard true. to say. It's yeah. hard to not be morbid right now. It's yeah, it's pretty difficult. It's actually a relief to be a little bit morbid because like it's externalizing that fear that we have internally. For know? sure, for sure. It's a great way of releasing that. Yeah. Um, for me, how do I want to be remembered when I die? Mm-hmm. You know, um, originally you and I were talking about like, I feel like everybody goes through this, especially in your 20s. You're always seeking validation from the external world. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, I want to be a singer songwriter that people see. And for me, I'm like, I'm a filmmaker who has acclaim, right? But then once you actually go through it, I'm like, this isn't really what I want to leave behind. Like, Mm -hmm. sure, I could make like a fun horror movie or I can make like a fun like sci-fi show or whatever. But it's like at the end of the day, I want to be remembered for my voice. Like I want to be remembered for what I fought for. Um, Because for me, it's like I'm always thinking of a bigger picture. And I think for me, I want to fight for women. Um, and marginalized voices. And it's like what I talked to you about. I think, I don't remember it was on the podcast or in private one time, but they do I was saying, together. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was like, um, you know, filmmaking is really fun for me and I'm very good at it and it's my career. But yeah. what really empowers me is, you know, um, moderating topics and like panel discussions and like really having dialogue about progress and where we can take our world as a collective and a community. So I hope that when I die that I made some sort of a small dent yeah. in terms of bringing the world forward. And then um, hopefully I die very majestically too, like maybe high on LSD. Um, <laughs> I d- I just see sparkles on top of Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh my God. The most amazing orgasm just like killed me. Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Literally mind blowing sex. I can't (laughs) wait. I'm here for it, Benny. If you're listening to this podcast, my vagina's ready for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not mad about it. And that's really beautiful. And I honestly think you're, you're making strides towards that in like, I think everything that you do, you choose projects very intentionally at this point in your life and career, you know, for sure, for sure, for sure. I'm very blessed to be able to be there at this point. Yeah. Um, So that was it for all of you to get to know us a little bit more deeply, a little bit 
deeper. Okay, so we're going to actually get into the heart of our topic now, family ties. I mean, it felt like uh, we I was trying to avoid going into this podcast. I mean, that's the Asian way. I'm a little scared. Yeah. Um, but just to give a little bit of context. So Priscilla yeah. and I have very different backgrounds. I'm a third culture kid um, mm-hmm. and an only child. And Priscilla ha- was born and raised in Southern California as the oldest of three, coming from a conservative Christian background. Yeah. So our family culture are extremely different. Yeah, there's no reason why we should be friends, but we are. We know? are. We yeah. are. And and you know, and I want to learn more about you, Priscilla, and like yeah. so sort of like how you struggled with those family dynamics as the oldest and like having to carry all that, how to unlearn everything and where you are currently now mm-hmm. in your life and what you will pass on when you yeah. have your own family. So first and foremost, being the oldest in your family, mm. you know, like how old are you and compared to the rest of your sisters? So my sisters and I, uh, like we were basically, I think we were three under three. So we mm-hmm. were very close in age. So my youngest sister, Vicky, she's about two and a half years younger than me. We'll call it three. And then my sister Rose is uh, two years younger than me. So they are 13 months apart. Um, so they're very close. So we were three kids. My mom had three under three. Um, she basically said she didn't eat da- uh, uh, she didn't sit down to eat a hot meal until I was about six or seven. So, oh my God. you know, cause you got diapers and then you got potty training and then you got a toddler running around while you have a, a nursing newborn. And then you have another newborn while the, the, the other kid, the middle kid is barely walking. Um, and so, yeah, that it, it was, I think what's great is we're so close in age and we're very close now in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up, there was a lot of, you know, growing pains, elbows in each other's faces, screaming, crying, lots of fighting, you know, it, all of that, all of that was there. Well, that's interesting because the three of you are fairly close in age, but the expectations put on you were yeah. very different, right? Definitely. So my my dad's a pastor. My mom's a youth pastor. And mm-hmm. I, in that, it was so key to kind of understanding my upbringing because I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people have the religion tree and the family tree. Um, and my two trees, the roots were knitted down together so deeply that um, when I basically stopped being so religious, um, I had to I didn't understand the separation between the two because they were so knit together. Um, and so I think being a pastor's child and being the first kid of my parents, um, it was almost like being like a, a child of like a mini celebrity. Mm-hmm. Everyone at church knew my name. They were like, oh, and you see Liang Jia's in the New Year. Like everyone would greet me like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I had that experience of like always needing to um, keep my clothes clean, to stand up straight, to really behave. Um, I was punished mostly for my behavior and conduct at church. Um, I'll never forget, um, you know, my, my parents are, are very loving and, and, and cute in a lot of ways. But when it came to church, it was like no joke. You know, um, I remember my maybe eighth birthday, maybe eighth, maybe ninth birthday. Um, we had these things called gospel meetings, which is when um, the services would be conducted in Chinese. And mm. I was expected to sit in the meeting for, you know, from nine, anyway, it was nine thirty till about 1230, which is a long time for an eight or nine year old. And, um, my mom expected me to pray out loud. Um, it could be in English, but encouraged to be in Chinese. And I was so deathly shy as a kid that it took every ounce of energy to do that. 
And uh, halfway through the service, you know, I'm sitting there, obviously bored, drawing in my notebook. And my cousin, uh, love you, Sean, came up to me and he's like, hey, like, let's go outside. Let's play some handball. And I think that's pretty normal for a kid to want to do, you know. Um, and he and I was like, no, like, I really can't. He's like, dude, they're not going to know, you know. But what he didn't realize was my dad was on stage preaching and my mom was on stage translating. And my mom has eagle eyes and, you know, was basically roving her eyes around the entire thing. Um, so I decided to go and play handball, which, you know, I think is a normal kid decision to make. And I have to say that because that's not the way I was uh, conditioned. And, and you'll see why, you know, as I continue. But so I played handball. I made the decision and it was a great day. And my mom came up to me afterwards and she was like, I've never been so disappointed in you. <gasps> Oh, no. And so I was like, all right, you know, another day, another disappointment. That's okay. I was really sad. Um, So we get in the car, and this was about two weeks before my birthday. So um, it was Christmas time. We wake up, and we are at the Disneyland Hotel. (gasps) And my mom had gotten us two-day passes and, uh, you know, a hotel stay. And this was, like, our first time as a family really, like, doing the Disneyland thing. You know, it was, like, cray-cray. And I just remember we got into the park... And my mom's like, I can't even look at you. I'm so upset at you. Oh, I, my God. I just want you to know, like, you don't, you don't deserve this right <gasps> now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fuck. And it was, like, the most devastating thing. And on top of it, we're a family of five. So a lot of the times um, my mom would ride with my sister. My dad would ride with another sister. And I would ride alone or with a stranger. So coupled with my mom's disappointment and just, like, the general, um, the, the general logistics of a day as a family of five at Disneyland... Um, it was, it was such an, it it left such a deep imprint on me and, um, really dictated how I would go on to conduct myself and how I would go on to really truly believe that there were pleasures in life that I didn't deserve because of who I was. Um, and that's how I kind of, I don't know if that's specifically an eldest child thing, but I'm pretty sure my mom didn't do, didn't raise my younger two siblings the same way with, with a, a bar that was so high. And I get it. She had so much love for me and for her, like the greatest love is for like whomever to get into heaven and to have like a huge mansion in heaven for all, having done all the good things on earth and whatnot. But it was presented to me in a way that was that made it so that love seemed conditional. I don't know if you've ever thought about this because I know that your sisters have been in your life your whole life. But <laughs> right. have you ever thought about like if I didn't have siblings, would I still be this way? Would I be rebellious? Would the expectations be even harder? Like in your mm-hmm. head, what would that have been like, you think? You know, I think that having siblings was really great for me. Mm-hmm. I'm really like I'm a more nurturing person because of it. I know how to fight for what I want because of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have learned a lot of patience and I even see this in my um, nephews and niece, like the, my oldest nephew, he's the oldest of three too. And I see so many similarities of just having to learn to be patient, learn to put up with things, learn to, to be okay with um, your schedule, your um, expectations being like thwarted because of your, you know, your family. So I think it's really built me into who I am. Mm -hmm. I think I would have been a very spoiled, probably more idealistic, probably a lot more selfish just for me, because as a kid that those were the traits I exhibited. And I remember having sisters um, slowly changing me over time for sure. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. 
Um, and I just, you know, some of my earliest memories are comforting my sister Rose when she was crying or, um, my sister Vicky, when we entered, um, like elementary school, uh, you know, we were in a K through eighth grade that had kind of like a, like a pre-K situation. And she cried the first day of school so hard that they had to pull me out of class and just brought me in there. And I just sat with her. Um, as she cried. And that's the role of an older sibling a lot of times is just sitting there and um, being a support system. Because you're the first one to go through this American experience, go to school, and be that cross-cultural bridge between your parents and your siblings and also the American world or like the outside world, as I would say. Because not only that, you have layers of like religion and also like school and social circles outside of that. And you're the guinea pig that has to go through all of it first. It's true. And I think if we want to look at language as a as a kind of symbol for that, mm-hmm. um, and it was funny because this past Christmas, like we saw a bunch of adults from church and immediately Rose and Vicky, my two sisters, they snapped back into their old mode and they didn't say a damn thing. <laughs> and and they just let me do the talking because that's how we were growing up. I would speak to my grandparents for them. I would speak to adults at church. Um, and so for that reason, my Mandarin is slightly better than theirs. I would say I'm more bilingual than they are. It doesn't mean that like they can't learn it um, and they haven't got improved on it. But I often, I think my brain is split in that way um, linguistically. Because mm-hmm. of having to speak for my sisters, because of having to exist in that like liminal space between the outside world and our inside world. So, I, yeah, I think that's a really good observation. And I, I, I think that's a, a big part of what we did growing up was just having to do the speaking for them. You have like a very big household. Like mine is so different, you know, like you have like True. a big, loud family and you've yeah. been in, you know, I, Walnut, California. I'm like outing you. I'm like, this is exactly Priscilla's story. <laughs> this is my um, address. <laughs> your address, her whole life. And then um, you actually uprooted much later in your life. Yeah, I, you're right. I, I never lived anywhere outside of SoCal except for like the short period of time that I studied abroad. And I think that was interesting growing up in like a very big household. So when we were little, we lived with my mom's mom and we lived with her because my dad became a pastor and basically we had no financial means to live independently. And so we li- moved in with my grandmother. Um, later in my high school years, my my dad's parents moved in with us. So we had a, a, f- a household of seven. Later on, even after we were out of the house, we had uh, my aunt move in with us. So we've always had a, a, a like kind of a, a revolving door of family members in our house. And I mm-hmm. think... I think that there were times it was frustrating because like my mom would just implement randomly like, oh, we have to speak Chinese at dinner tonight. And then we would all just kind of be quiet. But (laughs) I think intergenerational living, um, something that I think a lot of immigrant families um, are are more prone to doing uh, because of various circumstances. Intergenerational living really teaches you a lot. You know, I I grew up with my grandfather who was 70 years older than me. You know, I was born when he was 70 and he would do like, you know, Tai Chi in the backyard. Like it was a very old world Chinese man, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I got to learn a lot about a different world and a different life and, and, and understand that there was culture that preceded me in a big way, you know? And, and it was, yeah, anyhow, it was little things like always having to walk my grandmother to the car, always having to, you know, respect your elders, always having to put them first in a way, which as an American kid, 
gr- like as in a culturally American kid growing up in that environment, it wasn't always comfortable. But looking back at that now, I realize that it's a big part of who I am, you know, yeah. just um, it, it taught me to respect people. Yeah. yeah. It's always like, where's the Venn diagram center space, you know, in terms of like living in two worlds and like living in two cultures and like trying to find the middle ground yeah. and like being the pioneer in your family to have to wade through that. Totally. And I think like my way of doing that was, you know, I, I was not allowed to watch uh, regular television. So of course I would sneak it. So I would watch, you know, friends at, you know, 1 a.m., I would sneak downstairs and press my ear um, to the TV. So I would keep the volume on like one and I'd press <laughs> my ear to the TV and then like look at it and then laugh like silently. Like <laughs> you were <laughs> such a rebel, such a rebel. And I'd watch like sister, sister and like friends and all these things. And like I would binge on American culture because I, I thought that that was correct. And I thought that our culture was wrong or deviant in some way, you know, and I, I wasn't so much embarrassment. It was just, oh, my parents don't know, you know, which is, I think is a classic thing. So what I would try to do with my sisters is I would try and recreate these quintessential American experiences. Mm -hmm. So I guess an example of that is about a month before my sister's 16th birthday, my mom was like, oh, grandma's not using her car anymore. We're going to give it to Rose. I'm like, why don't we wait four weeks, put a bow on it, and then that'll be her sweet 16, like, you know, birthday car gift, you know? And so just stuff like that, um, Mm -hmm. making things special for my siblings. I felt like I was like the American and uh, cultural ambassador. Um, in a lot of ways, even though like, I think that should my- be your title in the family. Like the next time you go to like a family banquet, just that, that totally. ambassador title on your chest. It's and amazing. I think for that reason, my, my siblings, my two sisters, especially Rose, who's, you know, um, the middle child, she's more Americanized, uh, than, than I am in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's weird being the oldest sister and wanting to do that. And now that you are an adult and all of your sisters have sort of like flown the nest at this point, how are your parents dealing with that? In my mind, my parents would eventually retire and they would putter around in the garden and they'd be like super excited to see us when we came home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, About a year into empty nesting, maybe not even that, my parents um, started accepting uh, foreign exchange students into their home. Mm. And at first it was just one and then it was just a few. And then um, I got kicked out of my bedroom. My sisters (laughs) got kicked out of their bedrooms. All the guests, you know, the guest bedroom we got kicked out of my um, grandparents, old rooms, you know, we were kicked out of. And uh, I had a lot of angst about it. I'm not going to lie. And I do remember this one day I came home and my mom was like, okay, one of the foreign exchange students, um, they, you know, they're, they're Christian school closed. And because they're not citizens, we can only go to private schools. So basically I bought a house, you know, in Huntington Beach and I'm going to be living there with them so that they can go to Christian school. Oh my gosh. Wow. How does this make you feel? I lost it, Roxy. Like, I lo- I was like, this has gone too far. Like, <laughs> I was like indignant. Um, I was so, I can't really describe why I was so angry. Like, I feel like I'm still trying to unpack it. <clears throat> yeah. But I was just so frustrated because I was like, um, you know, when you live in a pastor's family, often other people come first. So many stories of like, my parents giving things away, uh, my parents, you know, giving their time and attention to other people and and other people always came first. And Mm -hmm. I think this was just like such a 
a, a, a physical manifestation of that, um, of that particular pain yeah. uh, in, these, uh, in these foreign exchange students who were, couldn't have been nicer, were really sweet and all that. And really, they, they see my mom as a hero, and I can see that now. But the week she was like, we bought a house, I'm living in Huntington Beach with them, and she lived there for like a year and a half. Um, it was so infuriating because I felt like that same thing was happening again where she would do anything for anybody else. Yeah. It's like the community always comes first rather than your own kids. Exactly. It's like, it's a very uh, almost image based thing, which I know that we'll unpack later as we get into topic two, where we focus on our present and our future. (laughs) Yes. Because all of this is cyclical. You know what I mean? Like it's all full circle um, in terms of like how we uh, reconcile our past trauma and lessons and how we apply it to the future. My last question for you yeah. is, um, you know, you when you got married to Abe and then you uprooted, went to Ashland and New York and San Diego, and you became like yeah. a traveling nomad um, for the <laughs> first time in your life. Yeah. And sort of what was that like? Did it give you like a different perspective on like the world and like how you see yourself and your own world? It definitely challenged my view of what home meant. Yeah. And I just, I just also just want to finish the thought by saying, I think what my parents are doing is amazing. I think them taking in foreign exchange students in is amazing. <laughs> I think that, you know, the level of attention my mom gives to these students is incredible. She sits with them every night, teaching them English, doing their homework together, um, you know, reading the Bible with them, doing all these things. I think that's amazing. Um, I, I think that it just made it so I had no place to go where I felt like I was at home. Like on our family vacations, these kids were were invited, you know, and I think that's the problem. So I think when I uprooted and went to Ashland, it only exacerbated that feeling of like not really feeling like home was a place anymore. And I think that was both liberating and beautiful and like part of growing up and all of that. But also it was sad that it seemed like that that family space, that sacred family space wasn't being held for me and my sisters by my parents in the same way that maybe we had before. So I think it was a loss in a way of what we had before because we had that. And it was just basically being forced out by this new endeavor. And I, I have to respect that endeavor, but I also feel the loss of that endeavor. So I think moving to Ashland, being separated from community made me really question what it meant to be home. And I'm still looking. I'm still searching. Yeah. Wow. That was, yeah. that's a lot, you know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> Home is such a place where you feel like if the world is too much, you could at least have a space to run home to. But for you, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Okay, Roxy. Well, thank you so much for, I I feel like I worked out a lot of, gosh, this is like therapy. Welcome to Two Horny Goats, therapy for Priscilla and Roxy. (laughs) Um, I'm just dialing in from problems. (laughs) I'm dialing in from a payphone. (laughs) This was an 800 number. Um, But like you said, you know, we have such different family backgrounds and I kind Mm -hmm. of want to just kind of dive into, you know, obviously you're an only child. You're a third culture kid. Um, You have a very, very different outlook than I do, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and so what's it? Okay, so jumping to currently, what's it like to finally settle down and create a life for yourself? Oh, my God. It's so rewarding. 
I, I think like when I first came to Los Angeles, I had like all my friends from college. So like you, Rochelle and like <laughs> Justin, Johnny and our crew, you know what I mean? Now yeah. Fumi. Our Sunday and shout dinners. out to those guys. We love hey. you guys, Sheldon, you know, like our family. And, uh, and it felt really bizarre to like finally create an adult life for myself where I'm not tied to having to uproot constantly, constantly over and over again, readapting, re-socializing, re- reinventing myself yeah. every time. And right. this life took time to build. This life I have now took 10 years to build wow. at this point. And I'm so happy that like I I call you family, you know, I call so many of my best friends family that I you know, you were like we we were born into a family that we didn't pick, but you also can create the family you want by selecting those that you want in your life. So I'm very happy with my life because I think now it's like after having all those hardships and all those experiences in my younger years, it has really taught me what it is that I'm looking for, you know, in in the world that I want, in my future, in my present, in my now. And it's allowed me to be very selective. And also having to readapt so many times in my younger years has given me tools and resources to succeed socially. And and, um, you know, I think all of it, hardship always comes with reward, you know, getting out of your comfort zone. There's always a reward at the end of the tunnel. I know it's yeah. very fucking difficult and healing is a lifelong process. But for me, like I would say I am super fucking happy, yeah. you know, like um, I'm always counting my blessings every single day and I, I'm not afraid of change and I'm not afraid of being uncomfortable. So right. I think that's the good thing if you were to ask me that in the present. Got you. Yeah. And I, I think you taught me what having a chosen family means, you know, because I, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm stuck with mine. I love them. But um, I think through you, I realized, you know, there was more to that. So let's back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, What was it like? So you grew up um, out of the country, out of the Mm -hmm. U.S. Mm -hmm. And what was it like coming into the U.S.? Do you remember what's like your first memory? Oh, God. Uh, I came to the U.S. when I was seven, and we lived in New Jersey at the time. So it was, mm. like, lots of strawberry fields and horses and, wow. like, you know, forests, like, haunted hayrides. Like, that was the atmosphere in uh, Middlesex County, New Jersey. Wow. And uh, I just remembered my biggest culture shock was the mm-hmm. fact that um, Americans don't eat their chips, a.k.a. French fries, with mayo. They eat it with ketchup. And that was the most Oh, it's a travesty, huh? It's a travesty. It was so offensive. I just remember going to McDonald's and being like, where's the mayonnaise? And like, they, they were just like, we only have ketchup kid, you know, like, like deal with it. And I, I remembered that was very traumatizing for me. Um, but also I took ESL, um, because I was transitioning from Dutch. My first language was Mandarin, you know, growing up in the Netherlands, my family spoke Mandarin and then I learned Dutch in school. And then we moved to the United States and I did go to American school in the Netherlands. So my parents were already trying to acclimate me into a English speaking lifestyle. Um, And then I remembered my dad said he was like, okay, Roxy's learning Dutch really quickly. Like either we move now or she'll never, and she's making friends and all that stuff. Like we need to have her start her life properly in the United States. So then I remembered like I would take ESL and, uh, I would say things like, and and the kids couldn't make any sense of me because they're like, you're Asian, you know? (laughs) And like, um, but I don't have an Asian accent. And I would say things like, hello, I'm European. Can I have a shit of paper? You know, like just, (laughs) just like, just like the strangest fucking shit. Like they could not, like people couldn't put me in a box. Right. 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 
to this day, people still can't put me in a box. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to be in a box. Yeah. Um, but it took a long time to be comfortable with that because when you come to a new place, all you want to do is assimilate. Yeah. Right. You just want to find some way in. You just want to find some way in. And no matter what I did, I was just too weird, too odd. I remembered mm-hmm. when recess happened, there's this guy named Momin, this like yeah. little Indian kid. And we he never spoke a word. Wow. And I think and all he did was follow me around during <laughs> recess. And I felt like that was the coolest thing. Like we never, ever spoke. Wow. But I'll be like, follow me, Momin. And then he'll follow me to the swings. Oh. And then he'll just like eat his gummies. And then like his snot will just drip into his gummies. And he'll eat that too. <laughs> this is like in kindergarten. And uh, I was like, oh, I wonder what happened to Momin. Because he was such a loyal friend, even oh though my gosh. nothing. Shout out to you Momin. Know? <laughs> Momin, uh, contact us at Two Horny Goats. Yeah, Two Horny Goats. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's reconnect. Let's make a reconnection happen. I would love to have a reconnection connection episode of moment so, i was like never right? spoke to him after kindergarten <laughs> so what was it then like because i would imagine like me with my siblings you know we speak english together at home even though my parents are speaking to us in chinese mm-hmm. um so what was that like having to basically learn english kind of on your own in a, a new american school because seven is not young like i think your dad's right like that's like that's like close to when your first like language centers are kind of you know closing um yeah and so what was it like speaking English at school, but then not having that same re- like repetition at home and, and speaking Mandarin at home? It's kind of crazy because, you know, your social environment influences you and like uh, you're so young and so impressionable. You have no idea what's wrong or right. So you're right. still learning, you know, your brain's still developing. And my mom put me in Chinese language school on the weekends. Got you. Right. And yeah. then uh, I would Classic. go to those. Classic. <laughs> but the problem was, was that those kids, you know, who, no one wanted to learn Chinese. You know, yeah. it was the uncool thing to do. And um, when I started taking those, I remembered no one paid attention in those classes like everyone spoke English anyways like being like being Chinese or speaking Mandarin was like not cool and I remembered like if I ever spoke Mandarin those kids would say to me you're in America speak English whoa and then I brought that attitude home to my mother oh wow so if my mom spoke Mandarin to me and I would go home and I would be like this is America speak English And that is very hurtful. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just thought this is a new world. Like, why are we living in an old world? Like, this is like, this isn't who I am. Like, I want to be part of the cool kids. Like, I want to be an American. Like, I want to, you know, be all these things. I want to be cool. I want to be accepted. And and that was my idea of being accepted. And like being an only child, you are so lonely. You know, like you play by yourself and like you're in a new environment, like no one knows who you are. And and the only thing I wanted to be was to be accepted. Wow. Um, but but real quick sh- story about like how the universe sort of taught me a huge lesson was fast forward to when I moved to California and like, uh, you know, I had to restart all over again. You know, I make new friends all over again at a much older age as a teenager. And I remembered, like, I couldn't speak. I spoke very broken, like, Chinglish, mm. you know. And yeah. um, I remembered these, I couldn't make any friends. I, like, went to Diamond Bar High School. You know Diamond yeah. Bar. And it's, Heck like, yeah. a bunch of um, Asians. my rival. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the high school's yeah. rival. Lots of Koreans, yeah. you know, like, lots of really cool Asians that, you know. Very wasn't, attractive people. I always felt like Diamond Bar. Asian people had I know better looking people. very intimidating it's and annoying yeah no one would let me eat with them what because I'm that weird kid from New Jersey so then like 
The only people who allowed me to eat with them at their table was this group of Taiwanese fobs. So like fobs is fresh off the boat. So it's a very condescending term for, you know, immigrants. And these these kids only spoke Mandarin. And so they were just like, hey. Do you like Wu Yuetian? Do you like Zhou Jielun? Like oh they're like, gosh. do you listen to like this like Taiwanese yes. pop music? And I had, I couldn't pick and choose my friends. I couldn't be like, hey, I want to hang out with the cool kids and they'll accept me. Like, hey, I'm gonna try and sit. You know, you, it doesn't happen like that. So I said, yeah, I, I guess I'll 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 eat with you guys and listen to Jay Chow. You know, and then <laughs> Jay Chow. me being with them, my Mandarin improved it through to full fluency wow. because of my friendship with them, and it also taught me. You know that you can't pick and choose your friends sometimes, and you also can't judge people. You can't deny, you know, who you are, and like you have to respect everything that brought you there. Yeah, yeah you never know who's gonna extend a kind hand. You never know who's gonna show up for you, and that. And I think making friends in high school is already so difficult. And like, yeah, you're right. Like, you can't always predict who you're gonna connect with and who is gonna help you know, further you, um, along in your personal journey. Yeah. So that's that lesson. (laughs) That's a lot of trauma. Um, and, and internalized, it sounds like there was a little bit of internalized, um, anti Asian sentiments when you were younger, like very young. Yes. And that's, that's really challenging. And that's a lot to tackle at such a young age um, it sounded like you grew up faster than probably the standard person, whatever mm-hmm. that means. But do mm-hmm. you feel like your parents treated you more like an adult uh, before you were ready for that? Yes. I think the conversation, because, you know, it's their first time having a kid, you know, and then they didn't have any more after me. Right. So there's a lot of expectations. Mm. Um, and, you know, they always say to me, you're our biggest investment. So when you think about that, it's like, well, I hope the return of investment is more than what you've invested, because if not, then it's a deficit. Right. There's no diversification at all. No, no, exactly. And so I'm like, am I a failure? So my biggest fear growing up was failing them Mm. because they they basically, you know, and this goes with along with a lot of immigrant families, but it's like, this is the American dream. We suffered so hard. We uprooted ourselves. We planted ourselves here so that you could have a better life, so that you can make us proud, so that you could leave a legacy. And I'm just like, holy fucking shit. Like, sometimes I wondered if I had a younger sibling and and they were much more capable, much more academically successful than I am. Like maybe I would have been the lazy one and like actually relax a little bit. But no, like I, I want I like was gate. I was uh, you know in in orchestra. I was the the concert master. I took taekwondo up until junior black belt. Like I did. Wow. I was just so hard on myself all the way through college. You know when we met, I was taking twenty units a quarter. I was in a sorority. I was on a dance team. I was like literally doing fucking everything just to just to prove to myself that I'm not a failure you know that their investment was worth it right and so do you feel like they they explicitly said that to you or was that just kind of implicitly understood in terms of what their expectations were 
My mom's a Sagittarius, so okay. Sagittarius people are extremely blunt and Wait, straightforward. Wait, my mom's a Sagittarius too. Yeah, it's like when you tell me stories about her, I was like, my mom's just the same way right. too. But, totally. Um, you know, they're very blunt. They're very straightforward. You yes. know what I mean? And and the words can be cutting. Mm-hmm. So um, her, she she has, you know, my mom's also very sensitive. So, mm-hmm. you know, she would a- often talk about like what she went through. And she's also working through her trauma right now in her childhood and like, you know, making peace with it now in her more adult years but like and our relationship has definitely changed because of that but like I remembered just it was so serious all the time like like growing up was so serious I was such a serious kid and I didn't know how to have fun I think that now that I'm older I'm like fuck it you know what I mean like I am who I am and um you are like uh, everyone has trauma that they need to work through um in their adult years like we, there's so many hidden things in there. Like I, I remembered as a kid, I, I used to think that my life had no suffering. And then my mom would say like, you're so lucky, you know, mm-hmm. like you're so lucky to live this life. I like, think of all the other people that like would die to be in your position right now. Yeah. And so I took that like as, wow, if I'm so lucky, then why do I shouldn't feel this way? Like I shouldn't, but, but when you're older, you realize, yes, that was trauma. Yeah. You know? Right. Because not just as an only child, but later on, your parents um, relocated to Taiwan while you were still in high school. Um, What was it like not having them there versus having them there? Well, they actually, um, you know, moved to Taiwan like when I graduated. Okay, so they were with me through high school. And then um, I remembered um, I made I went to UCI and then my parents were like, we're going to go back. And I, they said, there's really no reason for us to be here anymore because wow. we were here for you. Mm-hmm. Once again, there's that thing. Right? That's a and lot said, of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So then I said, okay, well, uh, you know, Ilu Sun Fong, Godspeed. And then so they went back and then like, and then I started off living by myself when I was 18. And then ever since then, it's just been like, this is why I love friendships so much. You know, this is why I love people or like, I'm so open and accepting the people because I've never felt grounded. Right. So it's like, so then I remembered up until I was in college, Priscilla, I never had a friend for more than six years. Wow. Because I was moving every six years. Like, there, I can't tell you who I still talk to. Maybe on Facebook sometimes as like a high if you reconnect after 15, 20 years. But like, like my childhood friends, I don't have any, you know? Right. So yeah. my, my most, uh, I, I guess, life-changing friendships are the ones I've made in college because that's when I truly allowed myself to be authentic yeah because there was no one else creating those expectations for me yeah I I remember little things because you know I'm one of these annoying people where if I'm if I have a scheduled date with a friend of mine I'll bring three more friends along and I'm like more the merrier and it's very much so because of my family and how you know I was raised uh, mm-hmm. But I remember this one time where you, you kind of took me aside and you're like, I'm really happy to see these other people. They're great. But I really wanted to spend quality time with you. And mm-hmm. I was just like, <gasps> like 21 year old me was just like, <gasps> like, like <laughs> one, I felt like I, I had let you down in a big way, even though that's not the way you were coming at me, you know, but yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness. And it was so clear to me. It was such a teaching, a teachable moment because, um, I wouldn't have understood it if you had just told me. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't have understood it if, if you had asked me not to bring people. But it was this very kind way of like, I, I love seeing them. Let's go out. Let's go get this boba. 
But in the future, <laughs> like when we, when I ask you to hang out, I, w- I want to spend quality time with you. Yeah. And, um, and, and kind of like what I was saying about my parents, that was a shock to me because my parents always were adding people, adding people to the equation and this sacred space of quality time wasn't always honored. And, and so that's how I was, you know, and it, it was a, a mistake that I was making constantly because I didn't know any better. And, and you taught me how to be um, just how to actually build intimacy in friendship and how to be grounded in one another and how mm. to choose each other as our chosen family, because yes. like this is the priority. Yes. Um, but so in that time between you know, because when I met you in college, you were everybody's friend, like everybody who knew anybody knew Roxy. Right. Yeah. And like <laughs> and it was like I would see you in the newspaper. I would see you on like, you know, the monitors in the school on the dance team. I would see you performing with your dance team. What was it like between graduating from high school or, or you know, having your parents leave and getting to that point of you understanding and developing friendship? Did you go through like bouts of loneliness? Was it difficult to discover like true autonomy? Um, were there habits that you had to unlearn or learn during that kind of transition? You know, it's like what we talked about in our last episode, that no matter how many people are around you, you will always feel lonely. Right. And it's like, and now that I'm reconciling this as an adult, I always feel that maybe sometimes my fear is that there's no one that will ever understand me. And because your experiences are so unique to your own and sometimes you just want to be the happy person that ties everyone together to feel a sense of community. Because honestly, as we get older, the lonelier we feel. And um, I just want to, and then that leads to mental health issues, that leads to, you know, emotional, there's a lot of things that come with that. And I want to be proactive in preventing people from going down the dark side of loneliness. Although I do like being by myself because I think with my background, I'm so easily adaptable. I could choose, I could find friendships anywhere. And that is my strength. I'm not afraid to pursue platonic intimacy with anybody. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you, I've, I've, my biggest homework right now is managing my mental health mm-hmm. and, um, also embracing my loneliness as like time for myself, my independence as something that I wear with pride, but also be vulnerable enough. It's like finding that balance right. and boundaries with everyone in your life. Like even your romantic partner, your husband, your best friends, like there's boundaries with everything to have a healthy ecosystem. Um, for your world, you know? Right. Um, so I think this has gotten me to this point, but it's still a work in progress. Got you. Uh, that is really beautiful. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. Going to come back with topic two. Am I becoming my mother? Hi, Goatees. We love hanging out with you every week. If you're liking what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot, and we will be eternally grateful. All right, and we're back. I know, that was such a long break. Wow. Did you manage to uh, take a pee break and drink a cup of coffee? I mopped the floor. I cleaned out my fridge. I I wiped the top of my refrigerator. I haven't done that in years. (laughs) Can you even reach the top of the refrigerator? I cannot, but thanks for the call out. (laughs) I can't reach most things with my T-Rex arms. Um, So we're, we're coming into topic number two here. Am I becoming my mother? 
like like we said at the top of the show, Roxy and I both have very strong mothers, uh, mothers with strong personalities. Uh, they're both Sagittariuses. Um, we have both a lot of respect for our mothers, and we have experienced a lot of friction with our moms. Correct, Roxy? Yes, karmic relationship all the way. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. Uh, what what was it? We love our parents. So, okay. So your dynamic between your mom and your dad, kind of what, describe that to me. What did that look like? It, it is an odd couple, dude. Like my, <laughs> my mom, my mom came from a very poor family with a lot of siblings. So, you know, she grew up like everybody just having some rice and maybe some stir fried vegetables for their meal for the day. Like wow. they lived, all lived in one room with tatami floors. And my grandmother really struggled to bring like seven of her kids up as a single mom. So my mom came from a very harsh environment, something that was very survival, like, like, you know, a very survival instinct sort of thing. And so she's learned to be very tough at a very young age. And then my father came from a very loving family. You know, he's always very happy and always making jokes. Like my father to this day has never lost his inner child. And so, um, my goal is to karaoke with your father one day. Oh my God. He's incredible. (laughs) He's like living his best life right now. He's always like singing, you know, one one hour a day or like playing his little instruments after work. Um, So they're two people from very different family cultures. And so when that comes together and they had me, it's like I think I had I'm very close to my mom because she she talks to me every day. And, uh, you know, she basically dedicated her life to raising me while my father went to work. And but there's a really fine balance because. I think she was very strict because that's what she knew from her family background. Like if I started crying, she's like, why are you crying? Mm. There's no reason to cry. And my father would actually have a more compassionate nature to me. So it's like those feminine and masculine energies were actually quite reversed in this dynamic. And I think yours is as well in a very similar manner. Um, So, uh, and so I had to go through a lot of my own healing um, now that I live by myself for the past, oh my God, like 12 years without them here, but, um, and being able to have more mature conversations that will hopefully bring our relationships to the next level, because your relationships with the people in your life are always developing, especially the ones that are closest to you. What was it like transitioning from I'm your kid to, Hey, I'm your friend now, like with your mom. Something happened really recently that made me look at her in an entirely new light. Hmm. So she, um, you know, my parents have moved back to Taiwan and, uh, I have always, and I have always said that distance makes a heart grow fonder. I really believe in this. Like you will love someone from afar and like, it's actually sometimes healthier for your relationship to not be together physically. And, uh, so my mom and my dad knew that they have no control over my life. Like I have to be the one to take my own agency. And, uh, you know, if I drink too much, if I do whatever, like that's all on me that I have to be responsible for myself. Right. So then my mom would check in with me every day because I know she loves me so much, but she struggles to communicate with me because Mm -hmm. we grew up in such different environments. And, you know, words are said, wires are crossed. Like what she says, she doesn't mean what I say. She took, you know, in a wrong way. And so we're still working that out. Language barriers, you know, like all of these different synapses that need to somehow meet. And then she just came to the realization that she just has to accept my actions and my decisions, because no matter what, I'm not going to list. I mean, I'll take her advice, yeah. but I'm too stubborn to, you know, to do what she says because she doesn't understand my experience. Right. You're not you just going to like a drone, like just get, get instruction and do it. 
No, yeah. I mean, I, I did so much growing in college when I realized the more I am myself, the more, the happier I am and the more healthy people I attract into my life. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, you know, so then, um, so then over time, you know, she starts to really enjoy like my point of view, my experiences. She knows that I struggle a lot. And I think she's always been like, why don't you just take the easier life? Like I've struggled my whole life. The whole point was to give you a life of more stability. And wow. I said, I would rather not have that because my whole, my whole journey is to take the unbeaten path. You know, right. like that's just part of my makeup and who I am. And I can't deny that part of myself. And so, um, so now, you know, she, she has a lot more sympathy, empathy, and compassion to my journey. I mean, she's always going to say whatever the fuck she wants, you know, like, <laughs> and she's still going to have her, her tongue's like a sword sometimes and they, it cuts pretty deeply. But at the end of the day, we're still working out our stuff. So for example, if she's saying something that's very hurtful or our moods are off one day, Instead of like being very passive aggressive and like not acknowledging the problem because our dynamic was cold shouldering. Ah. If something happened, you never confront the issue. She'll just ignore you for like a full week until, you know, they'll be like, oh, is the kanji too hot one day? And then that reopens the conversation. But you don't talk about it. You don't talk about the problems. Right. And that that transitioned into my adulthood when I deal with relationships I become very cold mm. instead of like addressing the problem and having to work through that you know like constantly like realizing your patterns and how unhealthy they are and so like if I get into an argument instead of it like building 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 into an explosion like how it used to be when I was growing up with her, I would just be like, okay, mom, I'm not going to hang up now. We're not in a good space to talk about this. I love you. I will call you maybe tomorrow or two days from now. And yeah. then we could catch up then. Okay. And then she'll like smile really tightly and she'll <laughs> hang up because it's the best that she can do too, yeah. because it's, it takes a lot of effort yes. to make change as we get older. And to also be kind of taught and, and have your, your daughter, um, who you raised, like be very clear about her boundaries from yeah. you, I think can be very difficult. So the fact that she's not over exploding, like, and yeah. she's smiling and she's taking it, uh, that's actually a huge ask. Cause I know even with my sisters and they're not my kids, you know, but with my sisters, if sometimes if they're setting certain boundaries, I'll go even more ape shit because like, <laughs> I just want to keep connecting. And it's like, who, who are you? Like I nurtured you. Who are you to say I'm not exactly. allowed to, you know, so I fed you, yeah. I fed you. I like, you know, she and then sacrificed for you. Sacri yeah. I sacrificed. But that doesn't you. mean that you don't deserve to set your own boundaries and to um, recognize what's healthy for you and, and what's not, you know, for sure. But for, for sure, her to take sure. it is actually like, I'm, I'm so impressed. That's a lot of emotional maturity that that requires, you know? No, my mom has definitely grown. Mom, if you're listening to this, I just want to say that I'm very proud of you. And I know you're listening to this. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Cause it, I know that it took a lot of work for you guys to get to that point. It took a lot of work. And also I need to, oh, the one thing that I said that I learned from her was recently, you know, she was telling me, I was like, Hey, like, well, she doesn't have many friends in Taiwan. Yeah. And I always thought it was because she's stubborn and she just <laughs> likes to be on her own. Right. But I came to understand that my mom left Taiwan for 20 years while she raised me. Wow. And to go 
back to Taiwan, she has a completely different viewpoint, mm. point of view, experience than a lot of women her age who are like housewives and like have no, only been in Taiwan and like live in a very collective mentality, you know, um, yeah. never thought outside the box. And so she struggles to have relationships with people because they just don't understand her experience. There's nothing to relate to. There's almost a cross-cultural PTSD that she's experiencing. Do you think you are probably your mom's closest friend outside of your dad? Oh, a hundred percent. I'm her best friend. What is that like? It's awesome. <laughs> it's uh, awesome. So if yeah. you and your, if you and your mom, if your mom were, you know, in her thirties and, and, or if you guys were the same age, would you guys be friends? I actually asked her this question last night really? because I actually didn't know how to answer this question. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's interesting because like my mom said, you know, um, I was just like, oh, you know, it's like we're the same age. I'm like, uh, like it would be the same. It would be friends. And then my mom's like, woman, she says, I think we would. And she's like, I had some friends like you when I was younger that are like crazy like you, like very extroverted, very energetic. <laughs> and she and then um, she was like and then she said, the what? Oh, and then so, oh so basically heart. what she said is she says, but you wouldn't like me. Oh, my heart is. Oh, my God. My heart is shattering into a million pieces. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then okay. I said, you're right. <laughs> wow. I'm like, I would think you're so standoffish and so judgmental, you know, like I, you know, so, so I think that was an interesting question. That's uh, real talk. That's real talk though. That shows that you guys have, you know what I mean? You guys have developed a a relationship close enough where you can like be honest with that. She has no choice. The worst thing she could do is hang up on me. So it's like, I mean, honestly, Priscilla, if we were living in the same town or in the same home, our relationship would be extremely toxic. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good that, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, as you said. And like, that's very true for you guys. Um, And so so you mentioned language barriers. So I know that your your Mandarin is is really good. It's very it's like fluent in conversational like um, Mandarin. What's your mom's English like? Do you guys only speak Chinglish to one another? Do you only speak Mandarin? Like what's kind of your um, language of choice between the two of you? My mom and I speak Mandarin to each other, um, and then me and my dad speak English together. And then when it's the three of us, it's Mandarin. Okay. Together. Okay. Um, I think my dad, because he works with a lot of European colleagues, and he works with English-speaking partners, like his English is super good. Yeah. And so, uh, and because I'm more Westernized, he enjoys that. Right. You know, he likes to have a, a, like English banter with me and makes right. him feel like he's in the know about and he's all this funny. stuff. He's hilarious. Yeah. He recently has been saying badass a lot, <laughs> and he's just saying everything is badass. Yeah. And then uh, he's like, savage, savage is badass. When he read our copy, you know, <laughs> for our show, he's like, what's savage parents? He's like, that's like badass, right? I'm like, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that. exactly. Um, yeah. I know. I, I, I know both of our moms called us saying, like, what does savage mean? I looked it up. <laughs> it means violence. Why is this happening? We weren't violent. I was never violent towards you. We're both going to get in so much trouble (laughs) with our parents. So are there things that you feel like you can't express to your mom because of the language barrier? 
No. Okay. There's nothing I can't express. Also, I think there's a, because our relationship is so close, there's an intuit. She's fucking scary. Her intuition <laughs> is like so fucking sharp. Yeah. I got to tell you, I was on FaceTime. I got these new sheets from my um, bed the other day yeah. and they're like very new, you know, and I took them out. I didn't wash them, but I just took them out, put them on because <laughs> I was too lazy. Yeah. And then um, through FaceTime, she looked at it and she goes, you didn't wash them. And I'm like, oh how do gosh. you know? <laughs> She's like, I've been washing sheets for all my life she goes i can tell when you never washed your sheets and (laughs) she was and i am like you are so scary my mom's intuition she knows everything and i think it's because we have that bond like no matter what i do or if i say something and other people believe it as true she'll be like that was bullshit like you are wrong you know like she's very scary got it yeah she's a beautiful intense lady Yes, she is. Yeah. (laughs) With the prettiest smile of all time. She's really gorgeous. And I I think um, recently my parents and I have been, I told them that I wanted to speak more Taiwanese. So in our FaceTime conversations, we're like implementing more Taiwanese into our conversations. And that's been really fun. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I love it. So Priscilla, I'm going to turn the tables on you now because I want to figure out more about like what's happening. So um, what has your relationship dynamic been like with your mother growing up? Okay. That was a lot of like weird noises that just came out because it's a lot of things. I, I, growing up, I was a mama's kid. I was a mama's girl. Anything that my mom wanted me to do, I, I, I was all for it. I was trying to please her. I wanted to make her happy. Um, everything I did from how I pursued school, how I pursued any hobbies, how I pursued friendships and people. I was the kid at six years old. I ran a um, revival prayer meeting at my after school program. It was only like five kids, but I had all of them down on the ground and I was standing on like a footstool and I had my arms raised like Moses on top of like the mountain holding the Ten Commandments and um, held revivals to bring people to Christ because that's what my mom was passionate about and that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to make her happy. I wanted to do everything that she wanted to do. And... um. I think what happened was when I became an adolescent, um, our personalities really started to clash. And I think it was because I wanted to still be good, but I wanted to ask a lot of questions. And I wanted to, like, figure out the boundaries and and not really rebel in such a big way, but just have have the ability to ask questions that were outside of the norm. So I remember at church once I asked like, Oh, what if, what if Jesus was a woman? Like how would that change this whole story? And, uh, you know, not to ding my mom on any like gender norm or gender specific, you know, things, but I was yelled at for a good, um, two, three hours after church because it was, uh, like it was blasphemy basically, um, to, to question it in that way. And her need for control over me, presented itself in a lot of different ways. So my mom was also the mom who knew every quiz, every homework assignment, every report that you had, she had it in her work calendar. And she always knew exactly what was going on. And she wanted us to do our best. And she wanted us to have everything we needed. 
But at the same time, that also went with policing thoughts and, com- and policing actions. And so we weren't allowed to um, talk on the phone. I wasn't allowed to scream or laugh like too extremely. Um, I wasn't allowed to be on the Internet in any capacity. Um, we, were only in te- we were only allowed to watch PBS and um, Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, um, which is a, a very conservative Christian um, television uh, station. I don't know if it's still on, but it was it was. Uh, I think based out of Costa Mesa. I forget what it's called. Like uh, they made a lot of money off of offerings. It was this balance between my mom loved us so much and understood every, like was so like involved in our lives, but at the same time was so controlling um, over our actions. Um, And she wanted us to be good Christians and good children of God. That was her biggest focus. So anyhow, I, my mom comes from a family of five, five girls and a boy. And so my, my mom's side of the family, they are hilarious. Like they're really funny. Um, I was always like, I was like, I knew I was like the least funny person in my family. And it, it was like sitting at a dinner table with my mom and her sisters. It was zing after zing, after zing, after zing, after zing. And they would just roast each other and laugh. And they were so quick and so smart. And I think, um, that made my mom's side of the family, like to me, very unique for Asian women. They all kind of married kind of submissive guys. I have to say every single one of the women married, um, a pretty submissive guy, except for my youngest aunt Lynette. And, um, they, my mom runs our household. She's the breadwinner. She is an auditor at a credit union. And she, like every auditor does, is really good at finding mistakes. And I think I was her main, you know, as a parent, her main audit. And it's just this very interesting combination because I know my mom like loves us to pieces. She, she's so supportive of us. Um, One, you know, example that always warms my heart you know, my mom and dad are not artistic people. Not really. Um, and my dad is just the sweetest person in the whole world, but we'll talk about him another day. Um, and, um, she was like, well, what the heck? I have three kids that are weirdly creative. Like, I don't really know what to do with them. And so what she did was she went and she found art lessons. Um, especially my, my sister Rose is an artist and she was drawing all the time. And my mom's like, we got to send these kids to art lessons. So my mom brought us to the art school and talked to the, you know, the, the manager and, and was basically like, we can only afford one slot when we have three kids. Like, what can we do here? Let's work something out. I mean, what a hustler, right? And so basically they were like, well, we do have um, these flyers that we need passed out. And so if you, f- if you hand out flyers, um, f- like basically marketing um, for the art class, uh, we can give you one slot for free. So basically we, had, we paid for one slot and every week one kid would go, uh, so two kids would go to art class every week, um, but we would rotate basically. And the third person would go out and hand out flyers with my mom. So we would drop them off at Starbucks, drop them off at pavilions, drop them off at Lighthouse Christian Bookstore. We would hand them out to people. We would put them in windows. We'd put them on community boards and then come back after like two hours and pick up the other two kids. So that's like the lengths at which my mom went so that we could get like a non, like a non-mathematical, non-English like education. It was, it was the arts. Um, and, and so I really, really commend her for that. Um, but I think the difficulty was that I don't think my mom received a lot of nurture in her life. Mm -hmm. And so I am such an emotional, needy, emotionally needy person. And I think I, I craved and screamed out for nurture and it just wasn't something that we could get on the same page on. It just wasn't. And so that I think is where we, end up clashing a lot. And, and I, I think at this point in our, in, 
in my view, my mom's probably the person who can hurt me the most. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like she, her words are like swords. Like she can say things to me and it will just affect my entire day. And it'll cripple you. It'll cripple me. And in yeah. that same breath, I think I've become the person who can hurt her very, very, very deeply. And I yeah. have said, I have said things to her that are truly awful because I know we can. And I know you said you and your mom did kind of the, sh- the, the cold shoulder thing. What I ended up doing because I, I couldn't stand, I never, I never talked back to my mom the entire time I was living under her roof. But the second I went to college, I unleashed and I, I have no mercy. I am so, um, almost like laser focused on exactly what I want to talk about that I will steamroll her um, often nowadays. I'm trying mm. to work on it. But it was so many years of being silenced and, and being pushed into submission and being unable to speak and being unable to voice my opinion. And, and, and one time, you know, I was like, mom, like, I just want to be your friend. She's like, I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. You know, I, I'm your mother and, and I deserve your respect, which I think is totally like valid to an extent. But I think if, if you didn't grow up with Asian parents, hearing that will probably sound like a little bit of a slap in the face because she's I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. A mom can act like a friend sometimes, but I'm not your friend. We're not on the same level. And she made that very clear to me. And I think we're still like trying to figure out our relationship and trying to give each other space. And I, I do have to say, you know, um, I am all about. I love seeing the little cracks in people's veneers because like, that's what makes me love them. And that's what makes them beautiful. And, um, she gets very irritated when I try to like press on certain cracks in her veneer. And she's like, no, like, no, this is, I am a complete whole person. You you, like, you do not get to kind of like, um, break this down in any way. You know what I'm saying? And so it wasn't until her youngest sister, my aunt Lynette passed away I'll never forget the night that Lynette passed. I went into my mom's room and it was the very first time in my entire life that I saw her soft. And I remember sitting next to her and like just putting my arms around her and letting her talk through all of her emotions. And my sister told me later, she was like, I think it was the first time mom understood your value as an emotional support. And we'd never had that kind of relationship before that. And that was about two, two years ago, two and a half years ago. So has that shifted? Like, has she grown and, or is that that one moment of vulnerability? I would say is she able to open up more now. Yeah. I would say for about six months, we were closer than ever. When we would talk on the phone, she would actually confide in me. Um, I, I would actually confide in her. Um, and then the window kind of closed and I, I go for it. I, I try to find that I dig for it. And I think now what's great is that my mom and I understand the humor of our relationship. Like we understand that it's funny how poorly we communicate and and half of our conversations, it's kind of like meta, like we're pointing out how bad it is. And, and, and like, she'll immediately say like, don't misinterpret this. You know what I mean? Like, don't yeah. go and write this, write a song about this. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, go, don't go and talk about this on your podcast. Oops. <laughs> but you know, I think we're at a point of, and I think that losing her, I think it was so devastating to lose her baby sister. Um, I'm not trying to take away from the weight and the gravity of that, but the beautiful thing we got out of it was an avenue for us to 
at least try to connect emotionally. Well, that's the thing is, is that like, uh, life is a series of cycles. As one cycle changes, you're forced to heal from it and from healing comes growth. Right. Yeah. So the thing about like, I know in Taiwanese culture in Asian culture in general, a lot of women would say, well, I'm too old. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, uh, oh, oh, I, there's like, basically what that means is there's no chance of me changing because it would be for naught. Yeah. Right. Right. There would be no reason for it. I'm t- and so they, they trick themselves into thinking that there's no, um, ability that they're in a movable point. Yeah, like it's like, evolution's impossible, but that's just not true. Yeah, that's just not true. You are actually hindering yourself from growth, right? So I think that is extremely interesting. And you know, now that we've shared sort of our relationships with our moms, yeah. <laughs> does this ever make you think about like what kind of mom you would be in the future? I know people always <sighs> say, I wouldn't be that type of mother. Like I'm going to be a different kind of mom, but are no. we really going to be a different mom? Okay. I, I, I've been thinking about a lot of, I've been thinking about this a lot since you broached the question. Right. And, uh, yeah, I I've written in my journal. I will never do this. I will never ask my daughter to shave her back right before she's leaving for a school dance. <laughs> You know, Um, and the fact is we all become our mothers. We become the people who raise us. Right. And um, my poor niece, I I went to um, a trampoline park with my nephews and my niece. And she my niece is so cute. She's into dancing. First time I met her, she was wearing a Darth Vader mask, holding a lightsaber and wearing a tutu, like a full on pink tutu. So this girl, she's unique, you know. And we, we go to the trampoline school and I'm, I'm baby, I'm like watching her. And I brought my sister Vicky with me to kind of like hang out with us. And the whole time, the entire two hours we were there, I was like, point your toes, get your chest up, bring your arms up, bring your arms up, legs together, pike up, make sure to, okay, legs out, legs out, chest up, let's go, come on. Okay, higher. There we go. Let's try it again. Higher. Like I was coaching her the entire time. And my sister Vicky had to like pull me aside and be like, hey, like, like, like you, you need to stop, <laughs> you know, like let her just have some fun. But I realized like that was how I experienced love from my mom was just constant direction, constant correction, um, constantly um, checking you for mistakes and making sure that you are better. And I think yeah. in a lot of ways it has bred my curiosity. It has, it has allowed me to, um, you know, always seek to be better, always strive to be better. But where it has maybe even like crippled me is I don't always know who I am outside of these restrictions. I don't know how to choose my own path a lot of times. Like if I'm alone and I have to choose what to eat, I love restaurants. You know this. I I will sit there not knowing what to eat and end up just eating like a piece of white bread because like it's too much. I'm so afraid of 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 being wrong. I'm so afraid of towing out of line um, that I've, I've, I've conditioned myself to just not desire things to an extent. It's been subconsciously ingrained in you. Exactly. It's become a part of your formula. And I'm going to have to really, if, if, if I decided, if my husband and I decided to have kids, that's something I'm going to have to be very watchful of. Cause I think it's good to an extent, you know what I mean? But it can really choke out the thing that makes people the most beautiful, which is their autonomy. Yeah. yeah. I remembered when I was with Greg and um, he, so my mom, you know, her biggest um, critique of me my whole life mm-hmm. was that I've always been big. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've always been like a bigger girl and her, she was always concerned about like me losing weight and like, you know, just 
being thinner and I could never really meet her criteria. Right. And, um, and she's always like, oh, it's to be healthy, to be healthy. And, you know, I remembered like she, she we tried many different ways for me to lose the weight. And um, now I am in this quarantine. <laughs> Intermittent fasting really works, guys. Anyways, so um, I remembered, you know, when I used to eat stuff, there would be times when she would cut my meal in half. Oof. Or like um, she would she would test me to see if I would eat what was on my plate. Like it would be a test. And if I ate too much of it, she'll yell at me or like, or or I would do something wrong Mm. if I just like ate an additional fry or something like that. And I remembered, um, this, this became very clear to me when we were talking about like that subconscious formula was I was having dinner with Greg and, um, I remembered I gave him some of the food on my plate Wow! and he saw it as, Oh, she loves me. You know, Mm -hmm. like, um, she's giving me food. I'm going to eat it because I'm going to show her that I accept her love and her appreciation. And so he starts eating it and I go, why are you eating that? And then, and (laughs) then he was like, you put it on my plate. I'm like, you don't have to eat it. Why are you eating it? And then, and then he was just like, I'm so confused. Like, I'm just like, we don't just resist it. I'm like, just eat half and we'll pack the rest to go. And then like, that was so hurtful for him because, you know, I think that was me saying, oh yeah, you need to lose weight too. Or like, whatever. And two hours later that set that processed in my head and I came back to him and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't, I, I know where that came from. That wasn't from me. Um, that was my, you know, my upbringing, my conditioning, uh, where it's like a test, like, are you going to eat all of that? Right. Um, and it's very toxic, very harmful. And, um, you have to be very cognizant of, the life and family you want to raise, but it takes a lot of work because if you're not managing it, it just comes out Yeah, like it, out of nowhere, out of nowhere. It just leaks out of you. My, my husband, Abe always says, you know, people, people leak like their true selves leach leak out and just telling ourselves, I'm not going to be this way. I don't think that's going to cut it. No, you know, it, and, and not even just with kids, but any type of leadership, any type of leadership role that you have, all of a sudden the way you were parented starts to come out, you know? Yep. And yep. Um, I, I am actively working with like my life coach to unlearn a lot of these things, um, to find value in myself, to ensure that, you know, I'm, I'm allowing people freedom and not being controlling because I don't think I'm controlling because it's less controlling than my mom is, but it's still, it's still a, a form of controlling, um, you know, behavior. Right. And then when you have your kid, it's like you're literally taking a fresh lump of clay and you're molding it. Yeah. It's crazy. No matter what, we're going to fail as parents because <sighs> yeah. th- like, there's going to be trauma that they need to work through when they're adults. Like it is inescapable and we're never going to be perfect. Yeah. You know, so Ooh. I think that's wow. just... And the world is always going to be changing. Yeah. The generation is going to be different and we're going to be struggling to catch up. It's like the cycle of learning yeah. is that. And our kids and are going to be making a podcast about us on a spaceship <laughs> flying quickly. And they're like, my mom will never listen to this because she can never get on a spaceship because she's going to barf because she has really, <laughs> really bad inner ears. <laughs> and then mine has a fantastic plume of a tail. <laughs> So you did fuck an alien. <laughs> I did fuck an alien. <laughs> <laughs> All right, goatees. It's now time for... Okay, Prisca, 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 Ay. Prisca. Ay. So what are your unsolicited picks for this week? Okay, so I'm probably super late to the game, but there is a... So 
This is what my husband and I have been getting for takeout. Um, it's Palm's Thai restaurant in, uh, in, in Hollywood. And we've been getting the fried trout with mango sauce. <gasps> sauce. Ooh. And it is a reva-fucking-lation. It is a revelation. I can't... I don't know that I would have ordered mango sauce on my own, but my husband was like, trust me. So we ordered, like, you know, the deep-fried trout, and it came with this, like, I guess it was, like, a fish sauce with, like, um, some sort of peppers in it, and then, like, onions um, and mangoes. And you spoon that on top of this crispy, hot, deep-fried trout. Oh my god! And you and you get it with like that restaurant rice, like where you can never get it. Like how when you cook at home, you can never get rice to taste like restaurant rice. At least to me, it, it's a certain aroma of of mm. you know this rice canister that's been used for thousands and thousands and thousands of bowls of rice. And there's there's character to it, and it just smells a certain way, and it's fragrant, and and so you just cut into that crispy skin, dip it into the sauce, or spoon it over. Eat it with some of that rice, and it is just a party in your mouth, a party in your mouth. Dude, stop talking dirty to me. I just can't. <laughs> I'm, not. like, so horny right oh now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like a snail just leaving a trail of mucus behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. I'm going to have to check that out. Yes, you, you should. And, and they, you know, takeout is super easy. Also, I heard that they usually have, like, an Elvis impersonator when it's not COVID, yes, right? they do. They Fuck. do. It's amazing. It's so much fun. Your dad would love that my dad would that'd be it. your dad's dream um, i think my dad would be the elvis in person <laughs> uh, my second pick is uh hbo uh, an hbo show that is now like long long done but it's called looking um my husband is a jonathan groff super fan like the way that i'm a killian murphy fan he's a jonathan groff fan uh and jonathan groff plays uh king george in hamilton uh, in the disney plus you know uh in the broad original Broadway cast version that you can see on Disney Plus. And so HBO Looking is about these um these like I think four or five gay guys living in in uh, the Bay Area and the dialogue is so brilliant. The the guys are so amazing and quirky and cute and Jonathan Groff is like my heart just falls in love with him more and more every time he just talks. He's amazing. So yeah, those can are you give us a little snippet of picks. like? Of <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you emulate him as King George? <laughs> I'll just do the la da 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 la da 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 la da 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 da. That's terrible. Perfect. Oh my god, that was just la da 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 I'm spitting. I'm. You can't see it right now, but I'm actively spitting. So yeah, that's, I'm a singer, guys. That's why that was so good. <laughs> you should win a Tony for that. I mean, did I just win? A, I, if Jonathan Graff ever hears this, I am so sorry. <laughs> no, his voice is angelic. You have to, if you haven't seen it, which, okay, stop living under a rock. I know it's quarantine, but do better. Um, like, you just got to go watch that clip right now. Um, okay, Roxy, what, are, so what are your unsolicited picks? My unsolicited picks this week. I'm going to give a shout out to two of my friends who own boba shops in Los Angeles. Hey so hey now, so there's Hey Hey Boba Shop in Echo Park. Uh, my friend Chris, this is his boba shop, and it is like the most luxurious <gasps> boba shop, like high end artisan. Rats? Like if you're thinking Echo Park boba, like this is the place. Oh my like God. he's so wonderful because he features like in his shop. He he has like an art gallery of local artists who put up their art, and then you could they could. <gasps> 
sell their artwork oh, in I his love. boba shop. What's even more incredible is that he has a patio open for open mics and uh, performances. Oh my god! Um, for like very very low indie rates, like he is so generous in supporting the local <gasps> community, and uh, his boba his boba drinks are extremely high end. Like they're like seven or eight dollars, but it's because everything is handcrafted. Ugh. Like like the the baristas are all masters, and like you know these artisan boba drinks Jeez. so um it's it's incredible and it's also dog friendly like yeah i like to hang out inside oh and like gosh. you know uh, hang out the ac and then they also have like sometimes bientang like uh like bento that, bientang. yeah oh and gosh. they have like he, he has like um curry rice or like his mom would also make like a tie <gasps> um tea eggs yeah steeped tea eggs uh that you can have so it's an echo park uh chris this is your shout out love you and then my second boba shop yes. is uh la Bobatory hey. in saint gabriel um so elton kyung this is his his spot it used to be a speakeasy like alcoholic mixology boba speakeasy pop-up in downtown LA yeah. and since then he has created his own brick and mortar wow. and uh, now he's like super successful now he's just like you know running this he's like a boba master as he would call it yeah. and he also does magic tricks oh so my if you gosh. ever <laughs> visit um, La Boba Tori uh, Elton will definitely give you a magic show because he's also a magician at the magic castle so these are all oh, very he's unique. at the magic castle damn he's a magic castle magician now damn. yeah damn that is so sick Wow. Shout out to you, Elton. We love you. So, Shout hey, check out. out these two spots. Uh, boba uh, makes a world go round. Hell so. yes. Hell yes. I love Boba. Well, love any boba. any final thoughts you have for our goatees before we pull a card for the collective? Let's do it. Let's pull a card. All right. So we're going to use the Rebel deck. This is the sassy Oracle messages. Everybody send in your energy. Your what energy. can you focus vibe, on this vibe, week? Vibe, vibe, vibe. Here All we right. go. Vibe, vibe, vibe. Let's see. Oh, oh this one wow. came out right away. Coming in hot. All right, so the message is, what the hell are you waiting for? Get that shit done. And then at the back of the card, it says, if you are waiting for a sign, well, here it fucking is. Here it is, bitch. Yeah, so whatever it is that you're considering, that you're afraid to take action on, just go and fucking do it. Yes, start that business. Start that garden. Start that podcast. Buy that plant. (laughs) Yes, grow that sourdough. Yes. Do it. Do it. Make it happen. All right. Well, have a horny week. Our lovely goatees. And remember, stay Stay horny. horny. Uh, 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 See you next week, guys. See you next week. This podcast is hosted by Roxy and Priska. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Today's outro music feature is Wanted to Love by our friend Atran. You can find her on Apple and Spotify. Amanda says, listening to Wanted to Love makes you the main character in a Netflix teen rom-com. It soundtracks the heart-wrenching feeling of giving your all to someone and realizing that they didn't and couldn't authentically love you back. Enjoy. Enjoy.